And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, Noah Vonley, big signing by the Nets. We will talk about all angles of the Noah Vonley signing. We will do our second annual, semi-annual edition of the Scary Hours Power Rankings. And we have an interview. Hmm. Rudy Valdez, the director of We Are the Brooklyn Saints, a beautiful sports documentary based in Brooklyn. Uh, It's on Netflix right now. You can hear that interview at uh, the back third of this show, Brian. I'm there. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. The pipes are not what they used to be, Mike. They're, you can you can hear they're as I get older, they're getting. Anyways, how's it going? It's excellent, Brian. I'm so <laughs> do, excited. Do to your be whole with you. thing. I'm just I just got tunnel vision about about aging and dying. But good. good to be with you. Um, go to theathletic.com/slash/glueguys. Get yourself behind that athletic paywall, four dollars a month to start. Rate and subscribe on iTunes at BK Glue Guys on Twitter, netsdaily.com. Our mailbag is netspot at gmail.com. Brian, the nets are not fully back. How are you? I'm Again. good. Yeah, Again. I'm good. Um, gosh, what are the nets? Are they back? What are they doing? <laughs> They're discombobulated. Um, exciting show. We are, this is not necessarily an emergency pod, but it has the uh, the remnants of a possible it's, emergency. It's urgent. Pod. There's an urgent need. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Nets are maybe Sham Sharania of the Athletic is reporting that the Nets will sign Noah Vonley mm. uh, with one of their open roster spots. I gotta say, I've always wanted Noah yeah, Vonley. He's been on your. He's one of your boys. He's been on the list. Well, he had that great season with the Knicks. Great, and I say great. It's like he had eight points per game. Yeah, but to me, that's pretty great. <laughs> that's pretty. Um, great. He was had that season with the Knicks like two, three seasons ago, and. He showed a little stretchiness. I think he shot 34% from three, something like that, at that period of time. Rounding up. Yeah, rounding up. Yeah. I always, well, you always round up when you want to make your point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, so I, I like it. I enjoy it. I think they need, I've advocated for them just to sign big people. And Noah Vonley is of the phyla of big people. And Mm. I support the Noah Vonley signing. Brian, how do you feel? Uh, well, you know, it's hard to not be biased. I've been, I've been having you pour <laughs> just un, unadulterated, um, enthusiasm for Noah Vonley into my ear for the last three years. So I, who can be objective with that going on? Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like we're, we're doing some interesting things in terms of shoring up, uh, that, that front line, um, saw some Norval Pell, Pele, are we going Pell or Pele on this? I think it's Pele, right? We should know this. 
We can yeah. look at it. Wait, it's got the pronunciation. I mean, it on. took us a while to figure out Rodion's Karutz. No. Um, uh, so. It says Pell. We got Pell in the uh, I love basketball it. reference. Even, even better. Norval Pell. Norval Pell. Um, it kind of flipped wall one. 28 years Norval old. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he's there. Um, similar size. I was actually surprised to see that uh, Noah Vonley has got, a, at least by basketball references standards, a full 30 pounds on on uh pell on norval your old friend norval redenbacher um <laughs> sorry because he's popping on the court he, like, wow uh, wow um but that doesn't seem correct i don't know that doesn't just based on the the just based on the clavicle and up uh, pictures on on basketball <laughs> reference that can't that doesn't seem right um Do, yeah, what would you guess would be more inaccurate height or weight because i think it's weight I think there's like that's no, what I'm saying. This is, is I mean, there's no way Noah Vonley has got 30 lbs on Cherboy Norval. I mean, no. maybe maybe three years ago. Who knows? But <laughs> what <Are> you- <laughs> Norval Redenbacher? <laughs> yeah, you that's like that? always that's gonna stick with me for the rest of my life. Um, I, you know, so it's like this funny thing of where I don't think there would be any signing that Sean Marks could make for the end of the bench spots that I would be disgusted with. No, these are great memes. Both yeah. both good memes. Yeah, I, I'm excited for the rotating cast of characters who shuffle in and out of those end of bench spots who yeah. don't play. Uh, I think we're going to see Amon Shumpert pretty soon. But I do um, think so. Yeah, um, I, I like it. I like it all. I, I like I, I know Vonley. I mean, he was a high draft pick. He had talent. Uh, he was productive somewhat. His averages are good. Uh, he's a big body and he feels like someone that would fit exactly what this team sort of needs. I still think we're all kind of holding our breath for yeah. the Andre Drummond release at some point mm. of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but yeah, he's um he's interesting, uh, especially having played one game of Norval Pell uh, of which there was pros and cons to be sure. Um, pro he contests mid range floaters, a thing that, DeAndre Jordan has not bothered to do oh, in some time. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. That's, that's a, an improvement cons. He has some trouble finishing at the rim. Like he's, we're going to have, that is not the, the, the early uh, evidence of that was it's one game. Again, I'm open to the idea that there's a, you know, some jitters you're playing with James Harden on a team that's ostensibly trying to win some championships here. So there's some game one jitters. I'll allow it, but I've got my eye on that finishing around the rim game of, Triple or repel. Not to derail us too much, okay. but I've been thinking this a lot lately as I've been watching the Nets games. And there's an extreme amount of pressure on our friend of the show, DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, it's too much. He, yeah. It, it's obvious that the, well, one, you know, J- Jeff Green started for him in the game before other friend of the show, Jeff Green joined us on this show, which is a great interview. Everyone should listen to it. They're going to learn a lot. It's still, mm. it's still in our archives. It's just the last episode. But so Jeff Green starts over him. Um, that probably, and we know historically DeAndre Jordan gets very upset when he doesn't start because uh, Kenny Atkinson was fired, mm-hmm. partly because of that fact. Um, I would think, and this is not even armchair psychologist because I don't have arm, I don't have like a, armrests mm-hmm. i just have you know sort of an this is office chair okay. psychologist i would think deandre jordan's not having as much fun as he thought he would on yeah. this team 
And I actually think fun is like the main motivating factor mm. for DeAndre Jordan. I like, this. At this, point. I like this take. This is a good take so far. I think that the, he's going to start having some sort of emotions <clears throat> negatively in terms of his situation because he's only playing 20 minutes a game. When he is out there, you know, I wouldn't, he's had very few like really good DeAndre Jordan games. He's been fine. You know, he, he would be a good backup center. I just wonder if like hmm. there this like shifting priority of, you know, they bring in Harden. Kyrie is obviously here and Kevin Durant are here. DeAndre came with KD and Kyrie. There's even moments when I kind of see KD talking to DeAndre as teammates do, mm-hmm. but talking to DeAndre, it, it has the vibe of like, hey, little, like, why don't you play better? Yeah, a little fervor, a little extra um, oomph. Which is fine. Mustard. Yeah. This team is a contender. But I'm just saying, I think there's like something there. I think there's something that could shake. And also, if we are to believe the Andre Drummond rumors, mm. which are, if you don't know, for people out there in, in the world, the rumor is that Drummond will eventually be bought out by the Cavs if they can't trade him, which they will not be able to do because his salary is going to be so large. And the second he is bought out, he will join your favorite team, Brian, the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if if that happens, like DeAndre is going to move even further into the bench and they're still going to do small ball lineups with Jeff Green. And then it's become like DeAndre Jordan is getting like 15 minutes a game. There's going to be a cause and effect. And I mm-hmm. wonder what what's going to happen. You know, DeAndre Jordan matters to the person. Do you agree with sort of what I'm seeing, what I'm sensing? I, I totally via do. My computer, <laughs> my computer screen. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one because like, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit of a self-evaluation situation that he needs to undergo a little bit because he could have a lot more fun if he, <laughs> if he took himself out of that starting rotation and allowed, I mean, he doesn't, obviously it's not his role to like be like, Hey, Steve Nash, I want to come off the bench. And that's just like not a elite basketball. I mean, elite in the, not I'm saying like, he's not an elite NBA player, but like, you know, as far as basketball goes, playing in the NBA is elite. Um, not that kind of a thing to do. Not a not a uh, a big dog move, right? To to come to ask to come <laughs> off the bench. Um, so that's an interesting situation. Also, the guys that were kind of um, lining up are still very much backups to the backup. Like Novon Lay and Norval Pell, bless their hearts, uh, are not really going to be threats for that starting position. Uh, so you're right. The the Drummond thing is going to loom over his head, but I think ultimately it'll be a thing that makes him feel a lot better <laughs> about his whole situation. And, you know, like nobody wants to be dogging Deandre Jordan as much as we are, because he seems like a, a sweet guy and a fun guy, um, who has a few limitations, but would be otherwise like a great, you know, 18 minutes per game backup center, a great one, um, a great one, like yes. literally one of the, be- you know, him, Dwight Howard, you know, I don't know, think of a couple others, uh, are like great backup centers and, and you're lucky to have them. Uh, he's just being tasked with a bit too much, Mike. I think we can all agree. Because what the Nets really need for that lineup, like you need, you know, I've talked about this before, you need basically tall Bruce Brown, right? Yes. So Bruce Brown, everyone loves as they should. We've been advocates for Bruce Brown on this very show from the very beginning. and uh, But he is short and he mm-hmm. can't do everything. And the starting lineup, if it's KD and Harden and Kyrie and Joe Harris or take out Joe Harris, put a Jeff Green, you still need an energetic big yeah. who is willing to just 
throw his body around, to be kind of aggressive. And DeAndre at this point is just a drop center who is still fine defensively. Like he's a positive defensively, but he doesn't bring the energy that you maybe need um, at this point being 32 years old and 200 days or 202 yeah. days old, as basketball reference says he is right now. Bruce Brown has become such an interesting player in my mind because he's really settled into this, like, I'm a center in a guard's body, like, like situation. Like, the, <laughs> the shots that he's taking now are these, like, because he has so much lift on his, on his like, jump hook, I guess we're calling it. It's, like, it's sort of a floater, but it also has a little bit of, like, hook to it. Um, yeah, side angle going yeah, on. Like, it's not perfect. No, it kind of reminds me of, like, those, like, push shots that, that – Brooke Lopez used to do um but he's like really settled on that as like his that's like option 1a in his offense which is so weird for a guy <laughs> his size and and like with his build and athletic ability um he's just become like a fascinating uh sort of archetype of a player for me yeah I so and like if you go by defensive win shares which is just not a stat I'm truly comfortable throwing around because I can't tell you how accurate it is Duran is the best defender on the team tied with DeAndre Jordan and like so DeAndre's defense still matters. Like I think I think Nets Twitter maybe is uncharitable to our boy DeAndre Jordan because it feels like he's the reason why Jared Allen's not on the team and everyone yeah. loves Jared Allen so deeply. I just think that they're I don't know if DeAndre's gonna rise to the level that this team needs. And they do so like they're already weak at center without Jared Allen. And DeAndre being like the only guy, uh Again, God bless Norvell Pell uh, and Noah Vonley. Mm-hmm. This, this is not new, saying the team needs a center. It just, I think it's even more uh, poignant yeah. now that we've seen DeAndre be the main center for long enough now that we're like, okay, this is who he is. <clears throat> right. He is happy. He is great at like the high fives at the, before the game. He brings a good smile to the court. Um, but. He isn't going to bring that energy, the dog energy he, that we need. He would be great. I mean, like I can continue to say this. His team defense is the problem, whereas Jared Allen's was like A plus for his position. Um, and Jared Allen's like man-to-man defense wasn't that great. He would get torched pretty routinely by by the Embiid's of the world, where I think like DeAndre Jordan kind of has a better shot. I mean, Embiid's learning how to shoot threes a lot better all of a sudden. Um, so that's like changed. But uh, in general, I like him as a man-to-man defender a little bit better than Jared Allen in some cases. Um, anyways, getting sure. too too granular, but um, it's <laughs> I'm just trying to like look for reasons not to hate on DeAndre. Try not to hate on anybody anymore. Not in 2021, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's take a quick break, and we're gonna get to scary hours power rankings. Mm. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Uh, This is the second annual semi-annual Scary Hours Power Rankings. If you are new to the Scary Hours Power Rankings. Uh, it is our new tradition of ranking the Nets' big three in a sophisticated system mm. involving both on-the-court and off-the-court production. Last time, I had it as Kyrie Irving as third, 
James Harden as second and Kevin Durant as first. Let's see if our board is shaken mm. up this time, Ryan. Great. Coming in at number three this week, the board has shooken. Oh, my God. James Harden. Wow. James Harden Fall coming in grace. last. He's been the most consistent of the, uh, I've seen this talked about on Twitter, the notorious B.I.G. three nets. Hmm. You know, the t- notorious big Mm-mm. three nets. Never heard that. What's the reference? I get that. Uh, yeah. Um, James Harden's been great on the floor. I've loved his facilitator nature. I love that it keeps him with the ball. He is the most consistent net because he both isn't hurt like Kyrie was against the Sixers, and he isn't um, yanked from the floor um, like Kevin Durant was. But he's he's three because he hasn't done anything really dynamic lately in the way that I would like him to do both off the court and on the court. Mm-hmm. He's just been a choir boy. Yeah. You know, a church mouse, if you will. And maybe that's good for some people. But for me, I like to see more dynamism. Dynamism. What's the word? Being dynamic. dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Dynamism. I like to see that. Um, you watched the Sixers game. I did. Did you do? You, how did you feel about that performance? I mean, that was the, the James Harden as like chief dog again game. Yeah. And obviously the game didn't go well. How did you feel about that before? I don't know how I, I mean, <clears throat> I was talking about this in the discord again, shout out to the discord links in the Twitter bio, check us out. Fun during the during game times. I was thinking about this. Like I didn't really understand Nash's decision necessarily to play him as much as he did for the first three quarters of that game. And then like, obviously the game got out of hand and he didn't play in the fourth quarter, which was mercifully, you know, that was obviously the right decision, but it was after quite a few reps and um, we'd gotten pretty deep into the bench at that point so in terms of like hedging your bets against like maybe we can like pull out a sneaky win um i kind of was like i'm not so sure about that i'd way rather like not not stagger like the big threes minutes like on an or like nights off i guess minutes uh in that way like if we're gonna go two guys out let's go all three out at that point that's just maybe i'm being overly protective i know like james harden is an iron man and i'm not used to having iron people on this team um <laughs> <laughs> nor am i or like kenny atkins is when was notorious even when we had young guys who should be playing you know 36 minutes and over he was still playing you know uh uh d'angelo russell like you know 28 minutes a game and stuff like just to troll him um and all of us but yeah so um that just from a macro like i had a couple of issues with in terms of his on court you know utility in that in those uh in that, in that game it was um it's good. It's still like, I'm, I'm still interested in his um, like desire to like put the hardened ball to bed, you know, despite everything like that was the game where it really should have happened. And there was more of it than, than usual, but still it wasn't like that 44.17 assist sort of, I'm just going to will this into existence thing like that wasn't there. Um, and <clears throat> I think like, I'm almost wondering if like, he doesn't want to even on the nights where he can do it. Like, I don't want to, um, you know, put my resume in for a job I don't ultimately want, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I think he might, I, maybe unconsciously or not, like he doesn't, he doesn't want to do that or be in a position to have to do that all the time anymore, maybe. So doing it on nights where like Kyrie and Kevin Durant are out so that he can like maybe eke out a super hard fought win against a team where they are, that's a very good team and hard to beat even with our best players. Um, so I don't know. There's a couple of things going on with that, but um yeah I mean, in terms of what like what it actually looks like obviously it's great i mean he's become quickly my favorite player to watch on the team 
um, even despite his reticence to to do the Harden Ball thing. Um, well, I like him because of it, right? Like yeah. I I enjoy the restraint. You know, mm. like mm. there are some filmmakers who, if you let them go wild. If you let them, you know, if they don't have a good editor and they just make a three and a half hour long movie, it's a worse movie, you know, and you actually want someone, if you have all this footage, you want actually more, you want to be, you want to cut some things. You want to cut more than maybe you want to because less is more. Mm -hmm. Um, James Harden is my less is more. I love, like, it's just been a weird experience to have gone from literally not wanting to watch him play basketball Mm -hmm. or how they played in Houston to being so... It's just so enjoyable to see him float along the floor and get the ball quickly and make quick moves and make plays. You know, in that 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 game against the Sixers, he was still 26-10 and 8. Only and only two turnovers, which is really good, you know, a 10 to 2 ratio for Harden. You know, I agree with you. I think it's like mentally in terms of like the Harden ball, like if there was going to be a game to do it, this would have been the one. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. Like Mm -hmm. it. And I think that's a positive. Like he is, Mm -hmm. he is focused on like, yeah, he could have dialed it up, but he could have had like a 38 field goal attempt game, like some crazy astronomical number where he just goes back to dominating. But it's almost like when, so some baseball hitters are afraid to go into the home run derby because they think it screws up their swing because there's like a very specific type of swing that mm. you're going through to just hit home runs as opposed to actually having an a bat. I feel like for Harden, for him, it would mess with his mind again to try to do Harden ball as opposed mm. to what he's doing in Brooklyn. And so, you know, I, I, I like that he isn't amping it up in the moments when he's the only person out there of the, the scary hours, big three. Um, in this game, though, I actually think it's good that he played because it allows sort of like Joe Harris to continue to play at the level that maybe you want him to. And Landry Shamit gets off 17 shots. Um, <laughs> that felt like the – I mean, obviously, it was the best Landry Shamit game we've had. Are he you buying or selling Shamit stock right now? Oh, God. Um, I think I'm – oh, God, Brian. You put me in a corner here. Sorry. I, I, I can't – I'm not supposed to do this. We signed an agreement. I, because I'm, it's a difficult emotion mm. to process. Okay. Because I, I've been a pretty loud Landry Shamit supporter, even in his darkest moments on this squad where he was getting DNP. And I was like, they should really give Landry Shamit a shot. Now it's like he needs to play well enough to be the guy that they can trade and get <laughs> get someone for there right. Like th- that's where he needs to be because he's the only person on the roster who really has like any kind of like long term sneaky trade value. It's obviously, you know, like you're not going to trade the big three. DeAndre Jordan's untouchable at this point because he's making 10 mil a year and he has, you know, he's not that good at basketball fully. Um, Joe Harris has trade value, but you're not going to trade Joe Harris. Like he, I think he's too consequential to the team. And so then if you just go down the list, it's like it's Bruce Brown who doesn't have that much and Shamit still does. And so if he starts playing better, you can think about flipping him for, a wing on some team, right? Can I can I say a dumb suggestion for Landry Shamit? Yes, <clears throat> I think that he should take harder shots. He was when he when he was uh, <laughs> when he was making shots uh, in that the in the extended garbage time there. It was because he was like careening off screens and stuff like that. And I find that if you're in a slump, shooting uh, super queued up corner threes is a real bad way to break out of it. And 
in in the flow a little bit more tricky you know it's like you know when you're skateboarding right and and you want to you you want to you want to get out of a slump you know right. going for some harder tricks you know just just sort of sending it uh maybe landing something it's a good way to like you know get your confidence back all of a sudden because there's no there's no risk and failure at that point you know there's no this is like the way i play basketball yeah because yeah. i know i can't make layups like that's right. the kind of guy i am so i refuse to be open for open layups right. i will purposefully take a contested layup Contested yeah. layup, contort <laughs> my body, yeah. Dwayne Wade my body. So it looks like I'm trying really hard because I know I'm going to miss either way. I might right. as well miss spectacularly. Right, exactly. Um, it is a good point. You know, there's I don't have the stats. Obviously, this, these stats are out there. But like, you know, the Nets, could I think, could be shooting better from three than they have been this year. And part of what's been going on is that like we talked about this with Jeff Green. We're like James Harden has basically never in his career since Oklahoma City has taken an open three, mm-hmm. right? Like he just is never – he just doesn't do that in that offense. Now he is. Joe Harris has been missing threes that he normally would make because he's like basically always open. And I think it messes with you. As a shooter, it's just like a weird thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a there's actually a defensive move to not run out on three-point shooters because all that like open space just makes them – players aren't used to sort of the timing – of being that wide open. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Landry Shaman should be shooting harder shots. Wow. That could be it. That's a nice trick. Yeah. Um, okay. Number two in my, in our scary hours, power rankings, Kyrie Irving. Now, Brian, Kyrie is number two for a very specific reason. Okay. So there is, I don't know if you know this fella on Instagram and Twitter. His name is Max is nice. I saw this this controversy. Yeah. So Max is nice if you don't know. He is a like an NBA player impersonator. He will wear the jersey of some player and act like them in a very comedic way to yeah. get likes on Twitter and Instagram. He's a knockoff of B dot, right? Like B dot yeah. was the yeah. Is does B-Dot he and B dot work together? Do they collab? Ever? Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I haven't, you know, I gotta be honest. I have not haven't, dove into yeah, the oeuvre that, that is Max's nice. Tweet, as tweet much at as, us. Let us know if you got yeah, that. Please yeah. don't tweet at us. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Max is nice uh, did a KD and Kyrie bit for his little Instagram thing. And in that piece, Mr. Is nice burned a, a massive thing of sage as a joke. Mm-hmm. He was acting like he was Kyrie and he was burning sage. So Kyrie on Instagram, uh, commented and said you know he said this he says he respects the comedy which i love that he said that he's like i respect first first and foremost (laughs) (laughs) i respect comedy above anything but then he says quote tell the ignorant max is nice do not disrespect my ancestors with his gesture gestures burning sage is sacred Mm -hmm. okay so like if that happened to me right if i was caught being insensitive in a moment like that, right? Insensitive in anything. You know I me, mean? I'm afraid to order food at a restaurant right. for fear that I will like impress upon a waiter that I will, I'm like trying to tell yeah. them what to do. Right. Not who I am. You would think Mr. Max is nice, who I would think part of what he would want to do is to celebrate players and to be in a good relationship with players. You think it's a quick apology, right? You think that's what would happen, mm. right? But that you'd be wrong, Brian. You yourself would be wrong in that. Max challenged Kyrie to a boxing yeah. match like he was some barstool goon. And, um, you know, who, then a bunch of people who are yeah. watching these boxing matches. What is going on here? Can, what is what is happening? 
So like, I, was, I watched. It's not us. <laughs> it's not even I. But even for like like the the YouTube influencer, and then also like just like drunken overweight people like <laughs> on these like rough and rowdy things. It's like where do I don't know. I don't understand that market. Like I get. It's, you know, here's the thing. A little bit of respect, okay, for the for the for the professionals out there. That's what I think. Okay, <laughs> I'm flipping it on it. You know, these guys work hard, and now now we're getting YouTubers and you know B dot impersonators, B rate B dots, who are you know getting this attention. Although obviously that's not going to happen. But anyways, I have. We'll, we'll do a deep dive on that next time. Well, I, I will say I think. I mean, it is a tradition to have celebrities punch each other in the face. Ever like since, we, ever since we had the celebrity death right? match, wasn't the Screech like one of the first ones? R.I.P. All right, rest in power. Yeah, let's. Um, yeah, Screech was one of the first. I think Mitt Romney was in like a celebrity boxing no, match. Stop, Mitt Bring Rom- it up. Stop. Bring it up. I believe. <laughs> what was the claymation show? Yeah, celebrity death match. Celebrity death match. Uh, look, I'm googling Mitt Romney boxing. And he boxed Evander Holyfield. Stop. <laughs> yeah, this was the thing. I mean, yeah. it's always been a thing, right? The so what is this? Was, what is this fake news? I don't get this. Um, it was for charity, of course. Like uh, he, he just like got in the ring and they like pretended, right? I mean, like yeah, yeah. Romney, Romney looked good. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like, good body. They're doing great. But anyway, so out of ten. Yeah. So Max is nice instead of uh, apologizing for being insensitive, takes the moment to try to, you know, start a, a boxing match with Kyrie. A bunch of people jump in on Twitter basically saying, you know, like, Max, you're dumb. You're kind of being a racist and all this stuff. Max continued to fight back all over Twitter. Kyrie stayed out of it. But mm-hmm. uh, so all of it offers up. Eventually, Ky- uh, Mr. Is Nice offered up an apology. Uh, but he still was hiding behind the shield of comedy. Yeah, saying I'm I'm a comedian. I do things to make people happy, and that that's what this was for. Yeah, all of this is to say, good on you, Kyrie. You know, <laughs> God, God bless you. Because yeah. the the thing is, it must be annoying as hell to see people make fun of you on a 24 hour basis when they at you on Twitter and at you on Instagram and blah blah blah. And you see this clown mm. do this thing where he's making fun of your like. So I feel like, you know, we can joke about sage burning. Right. I imagine it's a thing where if we if we did any analysis, I'm sure it's a very it's a very serious thing. It'd be like if someone was joking around with a menorah, like if someone was right. holding right. for Denny Avdia, <clears throat> if he did Denny Avdia and he was just carrying around a menorah, right. I would be upset. Yeah, that'd be a little you know? bit much. That'd be. Bit, I mean, I know. think it would, I actually think it would be that, funny. That's, that, that's pretty over the top. That would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but so, yeah, but yeah. it's a good parallel to draw. I like it. Thank you. So I think so. Good for you, Kyrie, for speaking up, my, not letting. Yeah, my favorite part about him speaking up is that he took. He was like, "I appreciate the comedy," and then <laughs> took all the air out of the room, <laughs> and then in no with no comedic veneer, uh, you should not have done that. <laughs> was, yeah. It's like when you give, like, I don't know if you've been, like, we have to give criticism mm, to someone yes. at work or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. You're like, love the effort. Yeah. But let me, let's <laughs> let walk me down this rabbit hole for down a second. With no uncertain terms. Good. Yeah. Um, so uh, Kyrie is number two. So that would leave us, of course, to the uh, second annual winner of the second annual Scary Hours Power Ranking, Kevin Durant. Mm. Kevin Durant is the uh, champion once again, and he we will be sending him his amulet mm. as soon as we can. Uh, he is number one for launching the hashtag free seven movement. Um, yeah. 
if you're unfamiliar, of, I mean, of course, this all links back to that Raptors game on Friday night when Durant was told pregame he wouldn't be able to play, and then he was put into the lineup, and then he was pulled again from the lineup. Uh, chaos ensued. We understand that Durant is probably going to play this upcoming Friday. He'll be allowed back on the team. Um, KD was, I so appreciate him. Mm. Um, I appreciate, this is the energy I want to see from Kevin Durant. This is what he said that very night. Okay. So people were, you know, like questioning the NBA on Twitter. Someone was questioning the NBA's PR statement. And this is what KD said. Yo, at NBA, your fans aren't dumb. You can't fool them with your whack-ass PR tactics. There it is. Dot, dot, hashtag free seven. (laughs) And that night on Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, Nets fans began channeling the same energy Mm. that uh, QAnon supporters carry with them on a daily basis. Okay. But like opposite of racist. It's like yeah. positive QAnon. Positive Q KD Anon? Nice. KD, thank you. Um, so I like this. I like, you know, my fear again with the team is that KD is one ch- he's won two championships, Kyrie has won one. Is there too much passivity? No. Mm. I want I want angry KD. I want hashtag free seven KD. That's what I want. The free seven thing was a riff on free Britney. Is a dir- a direct one to one? Did you watch that? that? There's a documentary on one of those <laughs> streaming things for the Britney Spears free thing. Did you watch it? I I caught 45 full-blown minutes of it just to get up to speed. What did you think of it? Um, <clears throat> gosh. <laughs> should we start a whole, you, Should we start another episode now? Or what it, I mean, <laughs> there's lots. There's lots there. Um, did you learn a lot? I did. I learned mostly about the sort of legal prerequisites of a um, – conservancy god i don't even remember now the, the conservatorship that that whole concept was a little bit unclear for me and it became pretty clear they do a good well, job like of the national parks like conservation <laughs> yeah no, no. Um, there's a lot of national yeah, parks talk it's a big it's a big like ecological you know documentary <laughs> no uh a, uh, not can't even remember the term. Cons- I think I had a conservatorship. I I trust you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's about like you know this is a very specific kind of um, legal status that you have over another person, usually for elderly people who can be taken advantage of if they're not if they don't have somebody controlling their finances on their behalf, things like that. That happened to Brittany back in two thousand seven when she was having her mental issues uh, and. So and ever since she's been sort of under like this kind of like in, very unique legal like situation with this with her parents and the conservatorship thing. It's interesting. I mean, for legal reasons, it's interesting. Quick killer comparison. Oh, good. The three scary hours superstars as pop princesses from the nineties. So wow. you have Christina Aguilera. I mean, Kyrie is Britney. Let's be honest. Yeah, Kyrie's Britney Spears. I, you know, not to you know draw like negative parallels there, but just the, just the you know all around like f- fascination, you know, and the 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 ability to say interesting things. <laughs> that's what we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christina Aguilera is a good. That's a you get I mean, hardened on that. Pretty talented. Yeah. Pretty Harden. I, I mean, I guess I would have gone. I, see, I so greatly respect. Aguilera's talent that I guess I would go Kevin Durant mm. um, just because and like and you can make it you can make an argument that when she went dirty when she was dirty Christina that was sort of like the Warriors <laughs> version of, of KD you kind of went dirty there and she was also in the Moulin Rouge song yeah. with with was it Missy Elliott and Little Kim or I think I mean Little yeah. Kim was definitely pink and that was that was like the Warriors were no it wasn't Little Kim oh yeah maybe it was Little Kim uh, it was 
Oh, oh Lord! You're gonna you're gonna make me Google Moulin Rouge, <laughs> Christina Aguilera. That's what you're doing, <laughs> the, and look, I am happy to go down there. Oh, God, uh, Christina I know Aguilera, the, the the fourth person, song, Pink was Lady definitely Marmalade. Yeah. Uh, Maya, and Maya, Pink. Ugh, Pink was in there. I was saying Pink. I told you Pink. Who is who is the Pink equivalent of NBA star? Carl Malone to me is is Pink, really? because Pink to me has never been good but has existed continually. And Carl Malone just continually put up buckets, but I don't think he's as good as, like, his numbers don't indicate actually that he's, at, like, I think he's worse than his numbers. Shout out to Big Tom, my friend's dad, grew up next to him in New Jersey, who every day, to this day, listens to Pink while he runs. Okay, big shout out for Big Tom. Big to shout the, out. <laughs> to this huge, day. huge shout out. The biggest <laughs> possible shout Jagged out little you. pill every day. Um, and okay, that, so that's it. So Duran is number one. So to sum up, we've done two of these so far. Duran has won them both. Um, and Harden and Kyrie have both been two or three, like flipping, flipping there. So Kevin Durant, uh, tweet out your address and we will send you the amulet as soon as we can. Real quick thing before we get to our interview or my Mm. interview, sorry, uh, with Rudy Valdez, uh, again, director of, we are the Brooklyn saints. You can watch it all right now on Netflix, a beautiful documentary about a peewee football team in Brooklyn. Uh, super special. I don't know if you saw this, but the Knicks have made a trade for Derrick Rose. Did see that. Okay. Um, so what a Oladipo talk too, which are, is there, is had, there Oladipo there, buzz? There was some buzz. Okay. Here's my quick take. And I, I feel like Knicks fans probably agree with me. Um, so the fear of Tom Tibbs, Tommy Tibbs mm. is that when he would come in, the team would begin, even if they wanted to commit to, you know, like uh, a rebuild and a slow burn. And no matter what would happen, Tibbs would push the evac button and they would try to begin to win sooner rather than later. And so Derek Rose is that he's mm. the the stepping stone to even higher floor. So if you bring on Victor Oladipo, you know, it's like. Derrick Rose, of course, he's better than Dennis Smith Jr. And I don't quibble with the second round pick. That doesn't bother me. Like if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm like, oh, no, a second round pick. But what Derrick Rose does is it does stop quickly and bear it from playing as much together as possible. Milikina is not playing basketball anymore, so he's basically done mm. with the Knicks. So maybe that's not much of a loss, but like still you kind of want to see what you have. If you have anything left in him. Um, what happened just, with, with Dennis Smith Jr.? Why did he like completely like he like his rookie year? He was a guy. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's some personal stuff in there that I'm not. I don't full grasp of. Mm, okay, he wanted to like go to the D League. He was ready to play in the D League this year just to even get minutes or the G League. Excuse me. Um, yeah, he was like a guy in the draft that I think a lot of people were super excited about because he could dunk. And he was, but he put together player. like three decent years in Dallas, or I mean, like above decent in the first two. So I just think it's it's funny that the Knicks. I think what the dream scenario for the Knicks would be is for Knicks fans, excuse me, is basically like, who cares if they like who cares if we as Knicks fans, if they were Knicks fans, make the playoffs? It's all about can the young guys play, and then we'll be have all this cap space, and then we can continue to grow get a good draft pick. Maybe the Mavs don't make the playoffs or something like that. And then you go from there. But the Derrick Rose piece is just, it's a step towards 
yeah. not rebuilding. He's also having like a win. down year too. Like I'm looking at his numbers right now. Uh, is there an explanation for that? Is he just like getting a little bit buried in the rotation or what's up? Yeah, I think it's just a bad Pistons team yeah. that he's on that probably was not prioritizing what he wanted to do. I mean, the Knicks right now are the eighth seed. They are 11 and 14. They have one more win than both the Raptors, which are ninth and the Cavs, which are 10th. I mean, they're, they're in the playoffs or in the, you know, the play in games right now. Um, it just feels like this is the move that is the precursor to the Knicks again, like shipping a first round pick for Kevin love or something like that. And that's what I hope for. There's nobody with like, I'm just looking at his numbers again, like for his percentages, like they are so different from year to year. Like it's like one year he shot 37% from, from three. And then another year he shot 21% right over 64 games and 57 games. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Um, Incredible. Thank you all for listening. Coming up right now is an interview with Rudy Valdez, who is the director of We Are the Brooklyn Saints. You could watch We Are the Brooklyn Saints on Netflix right now. Uh, in the interview, we talked about what he learned in the doc and about one of Brian's favorite movies, mm. Hoop Dreams. Love that movie. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, I, the reviews have been... Do you read reviews? Is that a thing I don't. You, you know, it's it's so funny. I, I don't. And uh, the when the New York Times review came out, I had 40, 50 people text me and call me and email me. And they, and they all prefaced it by saying, I know you don't read reviews but please read this one. They were just, they were, <laughs> and so I, I, it took every uh, ounce of strength. Like I, I think it's my, my biggest flaws. Like I cannot, I, I can't read reviews for a lot of reasons, but uh, I read it and it was just, it was very humbling because, you know, we, we tried to go in and tell uh, a new version of, of maybe a story or a, or a device that you've seen a million times and try to make it nuanced and different and come from a different POV and it's subtle in some ways, uh, but it was just really wonderful to see somebody truly get it and get what we were trying to do. And it was it was very humbling to to read that review. Yeah, and and I'll I'll kind of for listeners who haven't read the review in the Times, it really was you know it's about as good of a review as you could possibly hope. 
right for your story and those things matter desperately to getting people to watch the, the process so tell people what what the series is it's, it's a four-part series that's on netflix right now we are the brooklyn saints tell people what it is if they don't know yeah, it's, we basically follow this uh, organization called the Brooklyn Saints, a football organization, over the course of their season, the 2019 season. You know, I think the easiest way to describe it is it's a football show that's not really about football. <laughs> you know, that we use the we use the sort of the the markers of a football season to sort of encapsulate when we're capturing footage, but you know, we're we're really trying to tell the human side of the people who dedicate their time and their efforts and their lives to empowering and guiding, you know, young men. Uh, and, you know, it, the story sort of takes on a life of its own off of the field. And, you know, I, I like to say, and my hope was when we started this, that when we did show football footage and we did show games, that it was more than just touchdowns and scoreboards, but it was character that you were seeing on the field and, um, you know, letting it carry from off the field and on the field and letting it really blend seamlessly throughout you know i so it's a and it's about a team from uh is not it's east, east new york, east new right? york. Yeah, yeah east new york you know i kind of got emotional watching it because it showed a life uh that we don't have right now right it shows close connections to it, literally people on a bus going somewhere is like something i was like oh look at that people happily sitting close together as you were probably i, I imagine you're in the editing booth with you know the editor or you're watching these images, but out the outside world is not that. How did it feel kind of that you're basically showing a time capsule of what life was like pre-COVID in a way? Yeah, yeah. It was, it's so funny because as we were starting the post-production process, the we started to hear about COVID and the possibilities of what might happen. And I give major props to my producers and you know my post-production team. They, they saw the writing on the wall very quickly. And so we moved from this office uh, in the city to remote editing pretty seamlessly. And it, and I remember the first day of lockdown sort of logging into a Zoom with a bunch of, you know, squares in front of me. And then we were like, OK, I guess this is how we're doing this. <laughs> and so we we edit remotely for a long time. And you're right, like it, it as as the pandemic continued and lockdown continued, you know, we did long for those long days out in the sun with these kids and hanging out with these kids and giving high fives and, and you know, riding on buses because it felt more distant as the time went on. And uh, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it really truly is a time capsule leading right up to the last days of some semblance of, of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What made you want to choose this story, this team, this location? Because I, you know, I was digging through some of your history. It's not digging through, you know, on IMDb. <laughs> uh oh, don't dig too far. Yeah, don't right. dig too far. <laughs> no. But you've done a lot of different types of work, very personal work. What made you want to do this story? So this story was actually brought to me by Imagine Documentaries, and uh, so Justin Wilson, Sarah Bernstein over there, and Amy Berg from Disarming. They had the IP for this book called Never Ran, Never Will by this author named Albert Samaha, and they wanted to do a series. And they called me in and asked if I would be interested to do that. And I was very interested. Um, I wanted to figure out what the angle was and what they were hoping. And they gave me this book that was, you know, much like our series is a book that's, you know, structured around a football team called the Mo Betta Jaguars from Brownsville, uh, Brooklyn. But it also goes into the stories and the humanity of the different people that make up that organization. And um, that team disbanded about 10 years ago 
and some of the coaches went on to form the Brooklyn Saints. And so it was a natural conduit. There was a, a character who was in the book that is one of the people that's actually Vic in our show, Vic Davis, uh, Vic and Dilo were actually in that book. And so they were sort of the conduit to saying, why don't we follow this team? And, you know, to me, I, I wanted to pick a team that was, you know, similar in demographic to the book Never Ran, Never Will. But, you know, this was, you know, East New York is a little different from Brownsville, but they were, you know, a lot of the same characters and a lot of the same uh, demographic. And I wanted to to go in and tell that story from a different POV than what you normally see when you when you hear about, you know, uh, an inner city and a football program and what that means. You know, I wanted to strip away the the markers that you usually have when you're going into a place like East New York or Detroit or Los Angeles or, or something like that, where you're immediately hit with, here are the statistics of how bad it is. Here are the things that are so dangerous. Here are all I wanted to take those away and lead with the people, lead with the humans, and, and you know, not really go for that low hanging fruit of let me continue to perpetuate the stereotype of what it means to grow up in an area like this. There are other truths to that area, and I wanted to seek out some of those other truths and let that sort of shine throughout this. So what did you learn? You probably learned a million things that you didn't know before, but what, is there anything that you took away from your whole experience following this team? I mean, I learned a ton. And I think that my process of being a documentary filmmaker is to learn, learn in the process of, of making and telling the story because, you know, I don't want to go in with this idea of this is who I think these people are. This is what I think this community is. And this is what I think this is going to be about. I like to come in and learn and learn what this is going to be about, learn what these people are about and learn how I can help share that story in a way that is different and comes from a unique point of view. And so I, I will say the one thing that I learned and, and it's it's maybe a little off topic, but it was just something I learned as a, as a father, you know, as a father, the, the hardest thing and the toughest thing to wrap my head around is, is watching my, my daughter fail or lose at something you know you want to protect them from those emotions and all of those things it's something that i hold so dear you know i never want to see her fail but you know throughout the course of this season with the brooklyn saints you see these kids lose you see them get beat up you see them get you know really you know beat down in some of these games and at the end of the game these coaches and these parents are saying stand up stand up we're going to learn from this and next week you know what we're going to come and fight again and to teach that and instill that in these kids at such a young age that it's okay to lose, that it's okay to cry. And both of, those, both of those things are okay because you get a chance to get up and fight again. I mean, I, I, was, I, I would get goosebumps while filming, watching these kids learn these life lessons that they can take on with them for the rest of their lives and, and have it be so genuine and not just, you know, a saying or a, or a, 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 some stereotypical scene where it's like, you know, we're gonna go on and win the championship next week. It's like, no, you get up and you fight again. You p you pick your head up. How, so that how, was something I learned. Hoop Dreams to me is like the, it's the OG sports doc. It's, mm -hmm. I remember watching it, like it would be on like local Fox, like it'd be on like the <laughs> local stations and it would just be on in like the weekends. And I'd be like, what, is, you know, as a kid, I was like, what is this? I didn't know the whole history, but I would just start watching it. Do documentaries like that influence you when you're making what you're making? Or do you have try to have more tunnel vision? Just thinking I'm making my story. I can't think about sort of the, you know, the, the inspirations and the, the comparables in sports. How does that work for you? 
Yeah, so Hoop Dreams is certainly, you know, it's considered maybe one of the best documentaries to ever be made. And it was certainly something that influenced me as I became a documentary filmmaker. It was one of those films that I was like, okay, let me go down the list of what what I should be watching because I didn't know anything about documentary when I when I decided to become a doc filmmaker. And I watched that film and it inspired me and it started to lay the the groundwork of what it means to have a voice and to tell uh, people's stories and to give them agency. I think that there's certainly the idea, you know, there's there's a line from Hoop Dreams that always sticks in the back of my head. And it's that line um, when the kid, uh, AG, I think is who, who says it, he says, you know, everyone's always telling me, don't forget me when you're famous. And then he, he looks right at the camera and he says, I tell, you know, I hope that they don't forget me if I'm not, you know, it's like something like that. And I was like, what an amazingly, you know, true and human statement for him to, you know, that little moment for me encapsulated that we can have a camera pointed at somebody and we have all these expectations and all of this storyline that we, that we have in the back of our head. But at the same time, there's a human inside of that, that is probably full of doubt that is probably full of fear that they're going to let everybody down. And it was such a human moment for me that it made me realize that there's there's another layer to all of this documentary filmmaking, that we can go out and we can be a part of telling somebody's story, but we don't have to own that person's story, that that person should be able to own their story and control their narrative. We're there to help give it a platform. So all of these, you know, films like Hoop Dreams and, you know, When the Levees, broke and you know there, there are all these films that really show humanity and and start to get, scratch the surface of you know how we're we're able to because inherently putting a camera in a room changes the room but we strive to have the most honesty coming back into that lens as, as much as possible well i'd recommend for anyone i mean what's great about we are the brooklyn saints is that it's not uh, ageist, you know, you, anyone can, can watch it, right. You know, you could, you could yeah. sit down with your kids and watch it and you can really enjoy it. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. I imagine everyone has Netflix. Uh, it's a great watch. You'll, you really enjoy it. It's four episodes and about how many minutes of, of footage overall. There are about, f- you know, 48 minutes an episode, something rough, roughly like that. Yeah. So you can just get through it in one day and it'll be a great day. Yeah, you. yeah, you can binge it very, very easily. Yeah, to me, it almost feels like just a long film as opposed to, you know, episodes. It really plays out and the stories continue throughout. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And I hope people go check it out because it's really it's it's a local film for most people who listen to us. And it's a it's a special, special piece of art. So thank you. Thank you very much. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 